Welcome to episode 82 of Shanlene on Batman. We have a return guest coming on the show tonight. A director in the DC Animated Films Division that is very well known and very well liked as a director to some of our favorite animated superhero films. We have Jay Leva on the show. You probably know him for Flashpoint Paradox. Batman Bad Blood, Assault on Arkham, Batman vs. Robin, The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and Part 2. You've seen his work on Young Justice, and most recently we've seen Justice League Dark. We're going to talk to Jay about a lot of Justice League Dark stuff, and go back and bump on a little bit of the uh, other films as well, and we're going to get into some deep cuts of BVS. So really, really happy to have him back on the show. He's a great guest. The first time he was on was about a year ago, and that was episode 54 of Shanley on Batman. If you want to go back and check that out, please do. But this episode is just as good and just as informational. Uh, we're going to jump right into it. Here's our, our talk with our friend Jay Lee. Young Justice had this crazy online interface with all the fans wanting it to come back. So mm -hmm. what it, when you saw that it was coming back, what was your response? What was your reaction? You're like were you like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this is actually going to happen?" Because I know you had you have a relationship with the guys that like you directed a bunch of episodes. Uh yeah, I had I had already heard that that there was a pretty good chance that the show was coming back like way before it was announced, so it wasn't a surprise to me when they finally announced it. Awesome. We're, we're really looking forward to that ha happening again. It's Like I said, when we, when we talk to the fans, like Young Justice, Young Justice is like our generation's, you know, animated series. Oh, yeah. I know. I mean, it's a... Uh... I can't wait for the, the new season to come out and, and find out what, what happened to all the characters and stuff. So, you know, just like you guys, I'm a fan too, and I can't wait to see what they end up doing with it. Even though I kind of know what they're going to do with it, but I can't say what they're going to do. Right, right. <laughs> so now let's jump right into Justice League Dark. Now, Matt Matt Ryan was uh, he was on Constantine. What was the – was there, like, conversations between – uh, you and him to get him as Constantine, or was he interested? How did that? How did he become Constantine in Justice League Dark? Well, um, whenever we do casting, it's usually you know myself, uh, James Tucker, uh, Gary Mariani, the, the publicist, and you know um, they were usually the, and and also our voice director. We usually you know sit down and and you know, make our list of who we'd liked, you know, for the different roles. Of course, you know, like characters like Batman, we always know Jason's going to come back and do it, and some of the other characters that have appeared in the past. But whenever we have a new character like Constantine or um, like Dead Man, for example, we always make our list of who we want. Um, and of course, you know, as soon as I knew that I would be directing Justice League Dark, because um, I don't really know which project I'm working on. It's always like they just assign me you know, I'm just on rotation, so whatever the script that lands on the time that I'm free is usually what I get. So when I knew I'd get dark, the first question I asked was, you know, um, is Constantine in it and can I get Matt Ryan to do it? You know, um, so he was always the top of our list and especially on my list because I just thought, you know, nobody else could play him. Uh, and also the fact that uh, I think at the time when we were casting – they were still trying to figure out whether or not his his series was going to get renewed or not. So there was a the so he was off from um, from working, which is why a lot of the actors um, like we always have like our top list of actors who we always want to work with, but it's always on their schedule. Like it's not like we we're not like a Pixar film where we've got five years to make this and we can bring in you know Tom Hanks whenever he's available. We just we usually have a window of about three weeks from the time that I get the green light to start production and to the point that we have to stop 
recording actors because at that point we have to move we have to have the 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 initial radio play done uh, so that my artist can can start storyboarding and and working a lot of times we're wow. storyboarding we're storyboarding the the, epi- the the movie while we're recording them or even sometimes it's we don't have the their audio until much later in the process so Usually, um, you know, we only have like three weeks, and I think I believe at this time because I remember I did production of, of Dark. I think when I came back from Batman v Superman, so I finished Batman v Superman, and then I came back for Dark, and I believe we started casting like about a month before I like officially started storyboarding. Um, and I remember it might have been in the spring. It's been a while. It's been quite a few years now, but. Um, but I remember, like uh, Matt was free, we decided to uh, reach out to him, um, and uh, you know, luckily, because a lot of uh, actors who are on TV, they they shoot all the way until uh, like May or June, or May actually, because that's when May sweeps are. That's usually when the last episode is for like. So, like for example, the Flash TV show, uh, which I help out on. Um, I would get scripts all the way into May because they're still shooting in May. And then I think the last episode that they'll show, the season premiere usually is like a couple weeks after that. So usually we can, if we want to get actors who are on a TV show, we can only get them from when they finish, which is usually like from May till about mm, July, August. Usually that's when we can get TV stars. But sometimes we luck out and, you know, we were able to get Camilla Luddington, who's from uh, Grey's Anatomy. Uh, You know, in the past we were able to get, you know, Justin Chambers and all those other guys from Grey's Anatomy. So, Usually when I do my movies, I, I, I luck out because I get a lot of the actors that we want to get who are, you know, good, who are on TV and stuff. And, and it's a good kind of, uh, it was a good fit. And Matt was one of those ones where we just thought, well, let's, let's reach out to him. And, and we reached out and he immediately came back and said, yes, I'll do it, which, you know, which is great because normally there's a bit of kind of. Uh, negotiating about whether or not he'll make appearances or stuff like that, but he was great, and he, you know, he he, he said totally I'll do it, and uh, and that's how we got him. That's awesome. Um, something you brought up, you said when I got back from BVS, uh, I last time we spoke, you talked about one of the storyboards you did, which was when Batman was in the Batmobile and hit Superman yeah. with the car. Uh huh. Can we talk about some of the other storyboards sure. that you did in BBS? Uh, I did a lot. I did a lot of the Superman saving the world shots. You know, like uh, the the Russian rocket. Yeah. The, uh, um, what do you call it? The, the sequence where the Day of uh, the, the Dead the, Festival, the Katrina victims. You know, all that montage. I did all, a lot of those sequences. I did the nightmare sequence uh, with Future Batman. Uh, I did that. Although. Um, it was great because, you know, I just watched it again the other day and that, that last shot where it's just one long continuous take where Batman is fighting and he eventually gets taken down. Yeah. That was something that, that was something that I had talked to Zach about, uh, about like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we did like a children of men style, like one shot to do it all. Um, and what's funny because my initial storyboards for that, it's a little bit different. I mean, I, there's cuts and everything because there's a lot of things that Zach wanted to do. So when I eventually saw the final version of it, I was happy. I was like, oh, cool. They actually did it all in one shot because, again, my version of it, I had cuts in there because we had talked about it, but we never really, I mean, uh, you know, this was like way before they actually shot it. So I'm happy that once they started shooting it, they just thought, let's just do this all in one take, which is great because Zach's stunt team and his uh, second unit director, Damon, I mean, they're they're phenomenal. And uh, and I'm glad they were able to, they integrated that into that sequence. so those were the those were the main sequences I did. I did a few smaller sequences here and there. I think I might have, I mean, it's been a couple of years. But I think I might have done an initial pass on the uh, KGBs getting blown up when Batman shoots his. Um, yes. Yeah, because I remember I, you know I had done it for Dark Knight Returns, and I remember Zach and I had a conversation. I think I might have. I might have thumbnailed out something really quick for that sequence because it's very similar to what we he and I had talked about how we could you know cut back and forth and, and plus I had already done it on Dark Knight Returns so I think I had done that again it's, I'm pretty hazy because I had I had worked on so many sequences I didn't do the Doomsday fight so I didn't do anything on Doomsday which I was hoping to do but uh, you know by the time I finished 
my boards, um, I had to get back and do dark, so I didn't get a chance to uh, to do the Doomsday fight. Um, but I did a lot of things before that, a lot of Batman stuff. I did a lot of Batman stuff actually. I didn't do the uh, the warehouse fight. I wish I did because that was a cool fight. But oh, um, but those guys, uh, Damon and those guys, um, his stunt, Zach's stunt team and his his uh, second unit director, his fight choreographer, uh, they've been working on that since when I started. So, uh, so they had already worked it all out. So they didn't really need any storyboards for that. I, I just knew that it was going to be brutal and, 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 you know, pretty awesome, which is why in the film, I love that sequence. Now the nightmare scene was one of my favorite scenes in the whole film. Yeah. And like you said, the way they did it in one shot was incredible, but it brought parademons into the, into the, oh, yeah. our visual world. Like, was that, was that something that, you just felt had to be there or was it like already you were told like we need parademons figure it you know, out what's what's funny is that um that was a a late addition i think zach added that after after i had done it because uh originally it was just supposed to be the superman kind of bad guys and then and then batman should get taken over so i was surprised just as you guys that the parademons were in it but yeah. uh but I was, but I knew where where they were going to lead to. Like they're all leading to, you know, the 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 events that 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 would eventually be like in Justice League War, my animated film. So I right. thought, oh, that's kind of cool that they're they're bringing it this early into the story, which was, you know, uh, for me, I, I was it was a nice addition. Even that 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 sequence where there's that shot where you saw the Omega symbol. Yes. Um, yes. That that was something I didn't know. That was added after I had finished my my stint on it. So. Oh, wow. um, I didn't know we were going to do references to, you know, apocalypse and stuff in in the film. So I'm I'm pretty jazzed that they they put it in there. The one thing that I I that maybe I'll I'll, I'll lay claim to, but uh, who knows, maybe it's not, but um you know how I did just the war, right? Yes. So when I was when I was doing war, I believe I was doing Man of Steel with Zack. I might have been doing Man of Steel because um, I remember I gave Zach a copy of it and, and he watched it. And he just told me, man, it's crazy. I'm like, yeah, it's, that's, you know, I had to adapt Jeff Johns um, story. But, you know, we uh, I thought it was it was pretty successful for what we did. And um, and so I also gave Zach, you know, Flashpoint and Dark Knight Returns and stuff. And he watched he watched all the films that I gave him. But uh, when it came to uh what do you call it? The the scene in uh, BVS when it was when you, it was that one shot of Cyborg. I think originally in the script they had written where he was. Um, oh yeah. He was in a he was in like a hospital room or something like that, and and it was just supposed to be one shot. But I remember, and this was an early draft of the script. Uh, I remember talking to Zach and I told him, hey you know what you should do is you should really put the make the room red you know because it's supposed to be the red room you know i yeah. tell him you do that it's a little callback to you know to uh his his origin story and then uh and then what's funny is that i watched the movie and he basically took kind of what i had done in in war because in war he was on like I, the board yeah yeah and uh, i had actually i had i had done I, the one thing that i did a little differently than the comics is i i tried to tie cyborg turning into cyborg closer to the the making of parademons and you know the mother box that it was really just it, it was more like the apocalyptic kind of um what do you call it, radiation that hit him you know like that kind of stargate when that the boom tube activated it hit him and imbued his body with this kind of like um radiation from apocalypse and then that mixed into the the fact that the mother box kind of melded with him yeah. and then it's and then it started to turn into you know basically what happened in, the, in my movie is that the mother box uh thought that it was it was it was it was it was starting the, the like the parademon protocol where basically you put it with a, a a person and it creates them into a parademon but because of this the this, this situation and what and and the unique kind of nature of how cyborg you know where he was it, it created cyborg as opposed to a parademon so that's why cyborg had he's able to like kind of hack into apocalyptic technology kind of get their signal and kind of you know have that kind of um you know part of his kind of origin story um so that's what i really wanted to try doing because you know i you know the origin of cyborg the fact that his dad 
kept like he had just happened to have a suit that fit him just in case his his son ever got into an accident or something like it just to me it was like okay that's a little bit too you know like hey i i happen to make a suit every year just in case my son gets into a horrible <laughs> accident and then i'm going to you know put him in the suit um so that's why i try to do it. and then when i saw you know uh, the version that zach did in the film i was like oh that's so cool because i mean it's 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 similar to what Jeff Johns and Jim Lee had done in the comic. It's, it's, there's a little bit of callback to what I had done in my film. So, I mean, I don't know what he eventually, you know, the the whole genesis of that sequence is, but I'll, I'm happy that it was in a red room. It's kind of like what I had done. Um, and, and it's cool. You know, it was, it was fun. It was fun seeing the live action version of something that I'd kind of done. Oh, and also, I'll, the other thing I'll lay claim, I don't know if I told you guys this last time, but... Um, uh, so Mercy Graves wasn't supposed to be in the movie at all. I think her name was supposed to be something else. Uh, and I just and it was assistant to, to Lex. And I was out talking to Zach one day, and I was like, "Is is this is this character supposed to be somebody?" You know? And he's like, "Oh no, you know, it was just it was just something that um, I think in that draft Goyer had, had had written that version of the of the script." And um, and and so I was like, "Well, you know, if if it's not somebody that that's super that that you have to like." put the name that you should really make that mercy graves even if you don't do anything but you just call her mercy and at least you know that's a more kind of a tie into lex luther's character so i was happy that like they made it mercy i mean although i hope she's not dead because i like the actress and i like the characters hopefully she'll come back and she's really like a robot or something i don't know <laughs> I'm, hoping awesome. that, I'm hoping that that, that mercy comes back again in, in, in the future installments uh so you spent a bit of time talking about your work on uh, bbs how have you? How has your experience working with Zack Snyder been so far? And do you think you can continue that relationship with him in the future with future projects? Um, it's been great. I mean, I hope. I mean, every <laughs> I, I tell this Zach every time. So uh, every time Zach like starts a movie, I'm always like, you know, that girl who who buys a prom dress but doesn't have a date and hopes that the the guy will call her to, <laughs> to go on a date. So that that's me. Every time I I, I know that. You know, Zach's gonna be start production on his next film. I'm always like, I hope he calls me. I hope he calls me because you know I, I keep my schedule open just in case he calls me. Or even if he calls me and I'm working on something, I try to make room because I I want to do it. You know, um, so so that's how it is. I mean, I, I'm I w I didn't get to work on Justice League uh, during pre production, but then. Um, while they were actually shooting, they gave me a call and said, hey, we have this new sequence. Can you come help me out? And of course, I was like, of course. Yeah. I would. So they flew me out there. They flew me to London. I was there for a couple of weeks, uh, just kind of crafting one of the new sequences that they had come up with. And uh, and I was telling Zach, like, I'm so glad I got to work on this movie because I was hoping I got to work on Justice League. So it was it was cool. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, Zach's next one will uh, give me a call. Awesome. So back to Justice League Dark. One of the things that I appreciate so much about this movie, other than like the story and the action, was the actors that you have, like Alfred Molina, Jerry O'Connell, Rosario Dawson, Matt Ryan, Jeremy Davies. All these actors are, you know, like they're they're at the top of their game. What what was what was it like working with some of these actors of such caliber? Were you like, holy crap, I'm gonna be talking with Doctor Octopus? <laughs> uh, of course. I mean, you know, what's funny is that, I mean, I've had some really good casts in the past with, with my yeah. past films, but, but you know, what's great is that, you know, comic book movies has become so mainstream that, you know, in the past when we reached out to actors, they're, they're always like, you know, sometimes they were like, you know, sure, I'll do it. But most of the time they were like, well... You know, they they didn't see it as good as for their career. They just thought that they might be typecast or that, you know, it, it wouldn't be a good project for them. But ever since, like, with the success of the Marvel films and, you know, the DC films and the fact that, you know, uh, comic book movies have become a mainstay in Hollywood and in, in the world, you know, in the last, like, 10 years, you know. And, and I, I attribute that to the fact that, you know, Iron Man was such a breakout hit and Marvel kind of capitalized on it and just kind of, you know, doubled down every single time. So now every year, everyone's looking forward to these, you know, superhero films. So now when we reach out to these actors, a lot of them who, you know, maybe like could never play Batman, for example, uh, at least live action version, they know that, you know what, if I play Batman on, you know, on this animated stuff, you know, 
this will be my way of, of, of playing that character because I'll never be able to play that character probably ever. Um, uh, you know, other other times they, they're doing it because, you know, their kids love it and they want to work on it. And also the other time it's like they know that it's good exposure. Like, you know, like, you know, for example, um, you know, like Matt Ryan, he'll always be known as Constantine, even though he'll go on and he might win an Oscar someday on some other films. But he knows that there, there's going to be these hardcore fans who will always love him for his work as Constantine, both in my animated film, you know, in his TV series, if he does any other things, even if he did, like, I think he has an animated um, kind of series that he's going to be doing for us as well uh, in the future, uh, or at least for the CW. Um, so a lot of these, these actors know that, um, you know, animation, the animation kind of uh, fans will always love you and remember you. Like, you know, Kevin Conroy, everywhere he goes, they'll know he's, he's Batman, you know. And, and so they'll remember, you know, that these characters played. Like, even like uh, Michael B. Jordan, who played uh, Cyborg in Flashpoint. I'm sure people still come up to him and, and, you know, even though he's won so many awards and, you know, this you know, A-list actor now. Uh, I'm sure sometimes people will come up to him and be like, "Hey, can you sign my my Flashpoint Paradox, uh, you know, DVD or stuff like that?" So, um, I, you know, it's 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 a great time to be you know in the comic book movie genre because you know uh, it has such good support you know uh, from from the fans as well as the studios. Are you wedded to when you get the script? Are you, how wedded are you to that first draft? Are you are you guys always constantly working on it through storyboards and up through uh, through voice recording, or is it something that is kind of once it's set there, it's kind of set in stone? Uh, no, it's it's uh, I, I do. I'm a little notorious in the fact that I change the scripts quite a bit. I don't. Now the thing is, the dialogue kind of stays where it is. I can't really change dialogue too much unless it. It, unless I'm recrafting the scene and I need to get uh, the dialogue kind of said a different way or, yeah. or the context is different. So I usually don't touch the dialogue too much or unless I need something. Uh, but usually what I do is I'll, 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 I'll read the script and I'll ask myself, okay, what does this, what does this script need? You know, um, I'll give you some examples. So for example, the ending of uh, Assault on Arkham uh, was very different. Um, there was, there wasn't um, originally what was supposed to happen was uh, Joker and Deadshot were supposed to be fighting on the helicopter, and then Deadshot was supposed to uh, I forgot what he was supposed to do. Oh, he was supposed to like jump out of the helicopter and then shoot a flare into the helicopter, which would cause it to explode, and that's how the movie oh. ended. And I just thought, well, wait a minute, what is this? Is this helicopter like doused in gasoline? <laughs> is it, like, like I mean, I could light a flare and drop it in my car, and it's not going to blow the car up, you know. True. And also, uh, they had done a similar kind of fight sequence in uh, Beware of the Batman, where it was in a helicopter, and uh, I didn't want to do that. And I and, and for me, I needed uh, the one thing with Assault on Arkham is I really tried to, you know, uh, like every film I try to have some kind of like I'm doing an homage or some kind of like theme from a movie that I love. So Assault on Arkham was I was doing a lot of Die Hard. Like that's why it's set in Christmas time. Uh, there's a lot of homages to Die Hard throughout the, the movie. Uh, I think um, Waller's um, Waller's uh, building, like the building that at the end of the movie is actually the Nakatomi building yes. from Die Hard. Uh, awesome. So anyway, so the ending, I just thought, you know, I, I want to make it more personal. I don't want to be on this helicopter. I, I still, I mean, I want this helicopter chase, but I want the helicopter to crash into a high-rise building. And then uh, I had just seen, was it, uh, was it Skyfall? No, not Skyfall. What was the one before Skyfall? There's this fight in, in Hong Kong where Bond is fighting this guy. Um, uh, and, and it was really cool because it was in, in silhouette. It was one of the Bond films. It might have been it the one Quantum. right before Skyfall. I think it was Quantum yeah. Solace. Is that is it is it quantum? No, no, so. it's the one where it's the one where M M dies. I know spoiler. Oh yeah, it's... yeah, that's uh, that, yeah, that's Skyfall. Okay, is that Sky... okay? Yeah. Then it is Skyfall. Never mind. I, what's the oh Spectre? That's the one I haven't seen yet. Yeah. Sorry. So, anyways, I saw Skyfall and I liked that scene because I liked the fact that it had that those neon lights in the back. You had you had it in like silhouette, and I just thought, you know, that's visually that's a very cool sequence. And I just thought, you know, for these two characters who are both technically bad guys. What a nice fitting way for for their end to be like that. And also, I wanted to do a thing where, you know, there's that scene in Die Hard where it's that unfinished kind of level, you know, where where 
uh, where John, you know, uh, steps on glass and, and, you know, there's, there's that kind of sequence. So I wanted to, so the sequence where, when, when the, when the helicopter crashes into the, the, uh, the high rise building, that floor is unfinished. So that's why, you know, we have like, uh, there's like a, a, a gas tank, there's a nail gun, you know, these kind of things all around. Cause I just, I wanted to kind of change the location because we've been in Arkham for so long that we were inside this helicopter and I wanted to change the space a bit and give it a different feel. So that's a good example of like how I'll, I'll, I'll recraft the scene to something more, you know, uh, uh, another, another good example is bad blood. The beginning of bad blood was supposed yeah. to take place in a, in a building. It was supposed to be on a high rise building that was, that had uh, bombs set to it. So when, so when Batgirl, I mean, I'm sorry. So when Batwoman goes to, the, to investigate in the beginning, uh, she sees these bombs there that are set there, and she realizes that it's a trap. But it wasn't for her; it's for Batman. And then, and 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 and, and then Batman was supposed to like, um, oh, actually, it, it, she was supposed to get blown out the window and land on an adjacent building, and then and then the building was supposed to collapse with Batman in it. And that was supposed to be how she thought Batman died. And I just thought, mm, I don't really like that because. Uh, you know, for me, trying to figure out like the logistics of that, making that work, it was just, and plus, like, the lo the location of a building exploding in the space was kind of small, and I wanted the action to be bigger, and I wanted to do something different. So, you know, where I live, there's this kind of refinery that looks just like the one that's in the movie, and I just thought, oh, you know, that's an interesting. Here's the thing: whenever <laughs> I go someplace, I always look around. And I ask myself, this is a good place for a fight sequence. You know, I'll, I'll go to a nice. supermarket. I'll go to a supermarket. I'll look around and I'll be like, hmm, you know, if there's a gun, if there's a gun sequence, a gunplay sequence in here, you know, I can use this and that. And I start crafting it in my head, you know. That's uh, awesome. But that's how I am. I'm constantly looking at things and trying to figure out what would be a, a really nice, interesting way of, you know, uh, you know, showing a sequence, either in action or a drama or anything, and so, so that's what I try to do with with this movie. In and dark, in particular, though, uh, the Felix Faust sequence was, uh, we, we, I took a lot of liberties in that to kind of really push the fact that he, I needed him to be scary, um, and and crazy powerful. I know I've read some reviews where they they're they're saying how these guys are way too powerful the whole dark team and faust and everything and i'm like it's magic it's supposed to feel right. more powerful you know it's supposed to be something that you know that it's supposed to drive you mad when if, if you if you're not trained in doing it you know so i i, I really tried to push that uh, the ending um we did a lot of try to we did a lot of retooling of the ending of of, of the movie with um with destiny so uh i always try to change things up especially when i need to make a set piece like an action set piece or something that'll that's 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 more for the um drama oh another i know there's a, i'm answering this in a long way but another good example of what i do is the beginning of flashpoint uh barry allen you know coming home originally in the script he was supposed to come home and it's just like how it is on the tv show and also like how it is in the comics and everything and i, I wanted to make a departure of that so when he comes home and originally in the script he he sees that there's police outside his house and then he runs through the uh, you know the police blockade and the police chase after him like you know grab that kid he opens the door and then he sees the body of his mom um right before they you know they they uh uh they zip her up in the body bag or something like that and then and then it was the the scene ended with him going no you know very dramatic very cheesy no you know like you know your typical hollywood thing and i read it and i'm like okay you know for for what is supposed to be barry allen's main kind of drive for him to number one be a superhero and also to want to go back and change his mom, I mean, what happened to his mom, I have to make this as emotionally impactful as, as ever. So when you, if you ever watch my movie again, what I try to do is I wanted Barry Allen, I wanted it where, because if you notice he's running and he's running, you know, the stick across the picket white fences, I wanted the day to be beautiful. Like it's the best day ever, right? And, and he gets to the house and I was a latchkey kid. So I always, you know, my parents were never home. So I always carried the keys around my neck and I wanted Barry Allen. I thought it'd be kind of fun that Barry Allen, he comes home and he would wait for his mom to get home. And, and he had made, you know, it's his mom's birthday. So he had made a card for her at school. And so I thought, you know, Barry opens the door and, you know, totally not expecting anything bad, you know? And he steps in, and once he steps in, he steps on a piece of glass, and he's like, why is there glass on the floor? And then I do this reveal where he looks up in, into the house, which is kind of dark, 
but I don't show anything. I, I mean, I just show that there's been a struggle, a broken window. You see the the the, the birthday cake that his mom had had already like put on the table, but it was smashed. And then you go back to him, and and you just see the look on his face because he's seeing something off screen that we don't see. And then he he drops his his folder or something, and the card for his mom's birthday comes out, and and then that you know, tells the audience like, oh my God, it was his mom's birthday. And then what I do is I pull out from Barry Allen, who's the fastest man on, on who's going to be the fastest man on earth. I pull out of his face as a kid and I slowly, you know, pull out and he's frozen in time. And then what I did is I, I cross-dissolve the cops coming in and, and interviewing the neighbors and, and everything. And the last thing that you see is the 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 sheet being pulled over the body but you never really see his his mom you just you know that there's something there and that's the last thing that he sees and then i i go off of that image again that's impactful i mean that for me when i read the script i thought you know i mean this was okay i mean not to knock the writer but i for me as a director those are the things that i i'll try to make the call on i try to make you know as as impactful for the audience because i wanted it to to mean something to me you know right right in the feels yeah yeah what was it like adapting the magic characters into justice league dark because we've seen in this film i feel like we've seen more magic than we have in any of the other <laughs> Ever, animated yeah. films uh, you know it's funny that i had done, and i love uh, it I had done that Young Justice episode, the Hollywood episode with Zatanna. Um, oh, yeah. And, yeah, so I had done that. And I think I might have done a couple episodes, uh, some of the episodes of Just League Unlimited or something with, with some of the other characters. So I hadn't really had a chance to really do magic magic. And so uh, just like what I did with War, because with Justice League War, I wanted to, you know, do something different because this was supposed to be our new 52 kind of uh, jump off point. It, it, it had to feel different than, than what came before it with Bruce Tim or any of the other kind of uh, directed videos that we had done in the past. And one of the things I want to do is, you know, change the way I kind of did the action, you know, like a, a good example is the fight in the red room when the parademons are fighting and, and you have the, the Mark one version of cyborg where he's kind of in his metal lung and he's attacking and it's all this kind of like, really kinetic camera work so i want to do something different to kind of set the stage of all the movies afterwards to kind of follow this kind of more pushed kind of you know live action feel to the action um at least my version of it and so when it came to the magic in this one because we hadn't really set precedent to it beforehand i mean we had demons in justice league uh, versus teen titans that sam lu had done um but they never and i think the only thing that we already saw was just raven doing stuff we never really saw like this world's version of of magic and i so i thought to myself well you know let me let me uh let me uh, have fun with this and so you know i love full metal alchemist like i love I love that series. I love and so it I thought, you know, I, I for me, for magic, I had to come up with um, the, there has to be a, a rhyme or reason why things the way they are, you know. And so, for example, you know, I had to uh, whenever I do, uh, you know, uh, fight choreography or characters that are powerful or, what, or have powers, I have to set them. I call them my Street Fighter gauge, you know, Street Fighter, the video game. So, yeah. you know. So I had to make it where, you know, where do you fall in line in the Street Fighter gauge? You know, I did this when I was when I was the director on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I had to figure out, okay, if He-Man's on one side of the spectrum, where do all these other characters line up with him, you know? Uh, so with these characters, I had to figure out, okay, well, who's the most powerful? Well, to me, it should be Zatanna, at least for the good side. You know, uh, for to me, Zatanna taps into the same magic that Merlin taps into. So when you watch the film, her the color of her magic is, is very similar to Merlin's magic. Because in my eyes, Merlin was the most powerful wizard ever. And uh, Zatanna now is kind of his heir in a sense that she's probably the most powerful good magic practitioner uh, in the DC universe at this point. You know, But the thing that keeps her from basically being like Merlin is the fact that she's afraid of it. She's afraid of, of using that power because it's intoxicating, you know. Um, and even though she's using technically white or, you know, white good magic, it can still corrupt you. It's kind of like the ring, you know, in Lord of the Rings, you know, like magic will always corrupt you. And, and it's just it, it corrupts the person if they're not strong willed, you know, and, and you can easily start off with white magic and turn into the dark magic. You know, just because you you end up abusing the power, because again, it's it's the, the 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 magic itself is is just heightening what's inside of you. So, anyways, 
uh, I had to figure out, okay, so if that's a Tana, then, you know, what do I do with the demons? So, so the demons, like, their runes are all more uh, archaic. They look, we looked at, uh, again, the runes on, on, on uh, the good magic was very much, we, we, we based it on, like, elvish runes from Lord of the Rings. I, I like mm-hmm. that kind of flowery look. So I told my designer, I'm like, okay, this is what I want it to look similar to look like. But for the demons, I wanted to look like something that's archaic and ancient that, that that you you can only write with a claw, you know. So we look at like Urukai, uh, you know, from Lord of the Rings, like that kind of writing, and kind of just bastardize it as much as we could. Uh, and I want that magic to you know be a certain kind of color. And then everybody else falls in in between there, you know, with uh, Felix Faust, and Destiny, like they're all magic, are all specific colors. And I wanted John Constantine to be right in the middle of that, where he is smack dab in the middle of good and, or yeah, uh, white magic and dark magic because. Uh, for me, the way I wanted to approach Constantine is that he has an affinity to magic, right? But he isn't naturally magical. Like, to me, I don't think that he could conjure up magic, uh, at least big spells, uh, without the help of some kind of uh, uh, device. So I try to make him pretty much, he's, he's the supernatural version of Batman. You know, like, his coat is like the utility belt. He has everything in his coat that he needs, Um and and he relies on on these artifacts that he's collected in the House of Mystery um, to uh, to aid him in in his in his investigations, you know. Uh, and that's kind of how I did it. And once I kind of figured that out, then when we approached the movie, uh, you know, the the film itself, it, it was easier to kind of come up with, okay, well, what what spell are they casting here, or how are they doing this, or what is Constantine doing here? Uh, by just you know by just that rationale of like you know how does magic work in this world you know and why can't Batman cast magic why can't Batman see you know uh, dead man you know so I wanted to I know I've read a couple of reviews where people are you know people are like well why is Batman in here and everything and and you know I you know my thing was that I'm glad that we could use Batman as kind of Scully you know from X Files you know yeah. Scully was a skeptic you know and yeah. Mulder was the believer and it worked. And it was a way for us to, it was a way for that show to explain certain things to the audience that Mulder already knew, but Scully didn't know. And that's kind of what we use Batman as. He's a skeptic. He's like, well, you know, I can explain that in scientific terms. Uh, and so he, we needed somebody like that because if we just hit the ground running with just the dark team without anybody else to explain, it might be a little bit confusing for the audience, especially if they're so used to just the Justice League characters. In fact, here's what's funny. I always read reviews and I read comments and I remember this one guy, he was saying like, you know, this is bullshit. I can't believe that, you know, there's no Justice League in here. You know, it's all just a bunch of these other characters. And I'm just like, and I replied, it's called Justice League Dark. It helps to do a little bit of research because the book is called Justice League Dark. It's like, you know, West Coast Avengers and East Coast Avengers or like, <laughs> yeah. X, you know, X-Men and X-Factor. It's like, it's just a different Crips team. Yeah, but you know, I mean, it's funny. I mean, you'll I'll get comments like that from people who say like, you know, I'm a huge comic book fan, but then they totally miss, well, you know, the the references or they miss what the, what the story is about. And and this is really supposed to be just a jumping off point, so that in the future when we do bring these characters back or when we do hopefully do a just uh, a dark part two, we can get into more you know stories without having to do introductory. You know, I mean, I, I'm, there's still people who still don't understand that this is like what, the sixth film or seventh film in, that started from war or whatever um, in the continuity, like they're still missing that fact. Um, and and that we're, we're setting the stage for, you know, future films that, you know, will include these characters. When it comes to, like you mentioned uh, reading reviews and seeing comments online, does that sort of thing, like, get to you a little bit? Does it kind of get under the skin or just kind of like this... Or do you kind of like, okay, here's how I justify the decisions we made, like Batman and Justice League Dark, or, you know, because for me, like, it has, it have to be hard for me to see, you know, reviews that people are nitpicking the littlest, minute thing, when the, overall the story's great, the action's great, the score's amazing, direction's phenomenal. Yeah, a lot of the writers and directors we talk to, they tell us that they stay away from reviews because it's just not worth their time. It's interesting that you <laughs> said you read them. Uh, I read them. I mean, I I get a kick out of them. Even the bad ones. I mean, I, yeah. I love I love the glowing reviews, but I, the bad ones. 
I'll read and, you know, sometimes they'll have valid opinion. I mean, valid reasons. Like, you know, sometimes I'll say it's too short and I agree, but our budgets only allow us to make, you know, 76 minutes of, of, of footage that we can get animated. That's fair. Um, you know, so there's some things that like, Hey, you know, it's nothing I can do about that. I mean, uh, but other things like, uh, I remember I saw reviews, one of the first reviews I was, I don't want to say who it was, but, uh, the reviewer, she called at me out. Like it was a video review. She was, she didn't like dark. And she said like, one of the reasons this is probably bad was because of Jay Oliva. But the thing is that she had, she, she loved this, well, and she didn't say that it, the movie was bad because I me. Mean, she just said it, the series of movies that have been bad because of me, like ever since I took over, I guess, the, the directing on some of these films. But what's funny is that she she apparently loves, you know, Assault on Arkham. And that's like my baby, you know, like that's yes. and I'm like and it's a, I responded to her on, on, on YouTube. I'm like, OK, so you you didn't like Dark, which is totally fine. But you call me out of being as being a bad director. But yet you liked Ar- Assault on Arkham. And I was like, well, what about Flashpoint and Dark Knight Returns, which have been really, you know, critically really well received. I mean, those are still my babies. It's not like I'm not like my whole, you know, uh, my whole filmography is bad. I mean, if you didn't like one of my films or a couple, it's that's fine. It's all taste. But but don't call me out and saying that I'm a bad director, but yet you like my films. You know, <laughs> so I thought I thought that was a little bit uh, that was a bit funny. But, uh, uh, you know, what's what's what's. One of the things is that usually when I read a good review, like a one that's that's really well written and everything, I'll usually comment on it and be like, "Hey, you know, thanks for reviewing my movie." The ones that like they they give me a bad review, I usually don't I don't try to comment, um, just because like I'll leave it alone because there's nothing you can do. Like sometimes they're just very nitpicky about what they don't understand what the kind of constraints that we have in animation. You know, one of the things that like the review one of the reviewers said was that the animation looked cheap, and I'm like, well what did you want did you want something that's 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 like how fluid do you want an anima- animation because you know animation is i mean i i know how to animate i've i've been a, I, I i'm an animator uh, i know all the techniques for animating so you know want saying that the the animation is cheap is like as compared to what sleeping beauty you know snow white like what are you comparing what is the litmus test to what is cheap animation and expensive animation to you you know uh so there's a lot of times when i'll I'll read reviews and and you know for the most part you know i I like the fact that people are talking about my films and and uh, hopefully they enjoy it as much as i do but uh uh it's it's usually I don't really mind. I mean, even if they hate it, it's okay because you know I, what I always tell people is like you may not like this one, but you know we we do three or four of these a year. Maybe you'll like the next one because I look at it as if these are like issues of a comic book. You know, uh, you know where you go you go every week, you pick up the issue, and the next month you're gonna get another issue. And you know that might not be the best issue that Jim Lee had done or right. you know any of the other artists that you liked or writers. But you know what? There's another one coming the next month, and and that might be the one that you you fall in love with. You know, like you're not gonna hit it out of the park every single time, uh, and and because of these movies is that you know every movie is a little bit different. You know, like I can't say that, you know, Batman versus Robin is is better than uh, Batman Bad Blood or uh, or Assault on Arkham because they're all different. Um, and each one of these films, I look at them as they're like they're like my child, you know. So when I'm when I go to the premieres, you know, the L.A. or the New York premiere, I, that's the first time that a live audience is actually watching it. So I'm I'm like a uh, I'm like a parent, you know, with your kid in a school play, where I'm I've got my fingers crossed, and I'm like, please don't mess up your lines, or please don't trip <laughs> and fall, and, you know, and. And I'm hoping that the audience is laughing at the right moments, they're cheering at the right moments, and and they're you know and they're they're you know kind of really excited about the things that I love about the movie, you know. So the when I do premieres like that, when I did um, uh, Comic Con, like when we I think we did Assault on Arkham, or when we did um, uh, Flashpoint. Those I like because the audience is like they're really into it. They're cheering when characters show up, and to me, the Comic Con audience is kind of the best kind of ones because when we do the premieres, it's a much smaller crowd, and a lot of times they're afraid to clap or, or cheer, and you know, just to just have a fun time. So whenever we do like Comic Con, I think WonderCon is also the same way where the audience is just happy to be there, and to me, that's the best kind of seeing like like seeing the audience like kind of laugh. And, and, and cheer and, and kind of all the feelings that I want them to feel when they watch these superhero films. And hopefully they forget that they're watching animation and that the, and that we're doing these films at, you know, a, a very small budget as compared to, you know, any of these other big budget films out there. 
and, and to me, you know, being able to, 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 to do that, you know, on this kind of smaller scale is, is great because, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a fan too. And I want, I want to, uh, bring stories that I always wanted to see as a kid. Like I want to see what happens when Wolverine fights Archangel, or you know, or or yeah, you know, like or what is it like to have you know Darkseid fight Superman, or or Superman fighting Batman? Like what is that like? You know, um, so that, that's why like you know I have the best job in the world. All three of us here love Assault on Arkham, and before Suicide Squad came out, there were many podcasts we had where we sat here and we're like, if if Suicide Squad was just just like Assault on Arkham, it would probably be the best comic book film of all time. And yeah. it just, the way that that, the flow that that movie has and the storyline and all the characters, it just, it works together so well. It's one of our favorite animated films for sure. Like it just, it's great. I want to ask you about, you've been directing these films for a hot minute now. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've like you've learned from film to film and like things that maybe you just you've learned don't work in the past and things that you found do work now? How how have you adapted over your career in directing these films? Um, you know, what's funny is that whatever you can do in live action, you do just as well in animation. Um, just a lot cheaper. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> You know, the things that I've noticed that I've had to adapt is um, trying to, well, actually not really trying to adapt. It's mostly trying to, I'm, I'm always trying to top myself because I I don't want to repeat the same things that I've been doing in the past. Um, you know, like, uh, for example, with Flashpoint Paradox, when I, when I started that movie, I think I, I tell the story a lot, but I told the crew that if, that that one of my mandates for making this movie, or at least the way it looks and everything, is that if they ever made a live-action version of The Flash, I wanted them to look at our movie as reference, you know. Um, and and you know, sure enough, you know, the, that movie is responsible for the CW show. Uh, when now, when uh, you know, like Flash is going to appear in Justice League and everything, like his effects is very similar to what it looks like in uh, in what I my movie, and as well as you know the CW show, as with some you know kind of alterations. Um, so for me, it's about trying to kind of push myself and not kind of like coast because it's easy to kind of be like, Oh, I've done Batman a million times. I'm just going to keep doing that. And that's not me because for me, you know, you know, if I'm going to like, if I feel like I've, I've reached my peak, then I might as well step down. I might as well step down and let some somebody new kind of step in and, and kind of you know and 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 some, and add to the the kind of rich history that 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 these characters have had you know in the past you know and and I'm always trying to push all the things that I've 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 loved and seen these characters do and do it in a different way. Um, I've said this in in past interviews that. They always ask me like, "What's your favorite, you know, animated DC uh, film?" And I'm always like, "Return of the Joker." To me, that that is my white whale. You know, I I am I am constantly pursuing what what Bruce Timm and company did with uh, Return of the Joker because to me, I I saw that and it blew my mind. I was like, "This is amazing. This is what, you know." To me, that is my favorite. I know a lot of people will say massive phantasm and everything, but to me, Return of the Joker is, is kind of like the thing I'm always trying to capture when I do these films. And and I think that is the most difficult thing for me is is trying to figure out, you know, how do I how do I push it within the context of the story? Because again, I can't change the story dramatically. I can't be like, hey, you know, here's a story about Batman. Can we just make this into kingdom come? I, I can't do that. Like I have to, I have to follow whatever, you know, home video and, and, and my producers have kind of approved upon of, of the storyline and, and work within those confines. Uh, but like I said, I, I try to use all of the things that I've loved, you know, when I grew up as a kid, you know, I love Star Wars and, and, you know, Masters of the Universe. That was a big, and G.I. Joe. I loved all that stuff. I, I loved those 80s action films like Predator and, and Commando of all things. And, and, uh, and, you know, and I, and I throw that in there, you know, Die Hard. Like, and those are all the things that I love as a kid. And, and I always wanted to have the kind of choreography you see in a Jet Li film or a Jackie Chan film or any of those Hong Kong films uh, where, you know, it's, it's very overly, 
kind of choreographed, you know, for the martial arts. But I love that. That's the stuff that I dig. So I put that in my films. I mean, I do it with with, with Batman because I, I can't really do it with Superman. But, you know, for me, it's about, you know, trying to tell a story that if if I were to see it on screen, as, as you know, and not working on it, just as a as an audience member, as a fan, what do I want to see? And, and that's really like to me the hardest thing when I'm doing these adaptations, and also try to be true to the the characters and to um, the story itself. Like Dark Knight Returns was as a good example of an adaptation that I you know I loved the comic as a kid. It was actually responsible for for kind of changing the way I saw Batman. And, and, you know, and I approached the comic, I remember reading another review where they just said, well, of course, it, you know, the movie was good because Frank Miller had storyboarded out the whole movie. You know, of course, all JL even had to do was just shoot the story. I mean, shoot the, the comic book. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not what I did. I mean, I had to look at the, read the comic, you know, uh, kind of see the scenes that, John, uh, um, that our, uh, our screenplay, uh, uh, that the screenplay had that, uh, Goodman had written and, and try to understand and try to get into the mind of Frank Miller and understand what was this really this scene really about and then try to elaborate. I mean, when we tried to use Frank's shots, we did, but other times, you know, we totally went in a different direction. I mean, for example, the, the carnival sequence with Joker, you know, is very different. I mean, it starts off kind of like the way Frank has it and it ends the way Frank has it where, you know, Joker breaks his neck. Right. But I had to craft that scene. That scene was basically what I saw in my head as a kid. And I wanted to bring that because it's interpretation, you know. I mean, if Frank Miller had done, and if he was a director for that, it, I bet you'd be totally different. And so, you know, I had to bring what I felt was the strongest kind of emotionally for the characters, and 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 to still stay true to what happened in the comic. But if you look at it, it's not a one to one. It's very very dramatically different. Even the fight with Superman at the end, Superman versus Batman, we, we I took a big departure from that and. Uh, and I'll stand by the, the changes I made because I didn't want to do exactly what the comic book because, you know, there was a Brave and the Bold episode where they did a lot of homages to it. And I just thought that's already been done. So why do I need to do that? And so I threw, I mean, you know, again, I wanted to stick with the fact that it was this 80s kind of era film. And again, I love those 80s films because, you know, I'm 40 now and I grew up in the 80s. And and so I just thought, you know, it'd be funny with Batman Superman fighting through apartments. You know, and I threw that in there. I just thought, you know, that's kind of funny. It still fits with it. And they're fighting through, you know, you know, you know, guys like, you know, uh, washing dishes and Batman and Superman just bust through the wall and break through like the, kind of like the Kool-Aid man. And it's that ridiculousness. <laughs> of it but it still fit you know and so that's the kind of thing that like as a director that's what i try to do and try to push and but still not detract away from the story and it's just kind of like this balancing act and and that's kind of where it's hard but at the same time ultimately as a director you just have to you have to um uh, kind of uh fulfill what you want to see you know because you are the audience first and foremost, uh, you know, you're the first person that you have to kind of make laugh and kind of enjoy. And, and that's kind of, and that's, it's kind of what, what I try to do with every film. That's really great, man. So we're going to, we're going to take, there, there are a few people on Twitter who kind of like ask questions. So we're going to, we're going to do like one or two of those and wrap it up. Cause I know okay, no you, problem. you, you're, you have a busy day. Uh, so from Sergio Pereira at Sergio writes, uh, Jay's been killing it with the animated films. Please ask if you'll consider moving into the live action realm. Is that something you would consider doing? Oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm trying to transition away from animation and go into live action. Um, so I've got a few projects that are uh, kind of in development, and hopefully I'll I'll have you know a live action premiere of one of the films that I'll direct. Uh, so that's that's definitely something I'm I've been looking I've been looking into. I've been trying to do. I mean, I'd, I'd wish if Jeff Johns gave me a call and be like, Hey Jay, you want to direct uh, one of these DC films? I'd be like, Sure, give me anything. Hell, I'll even do Booster Gold movie. Yes, do give that. me anything. You know, please. Uh, I would I would love to. I mean, if, if the only problem though is that you know. Um, because I'm, I work in animation. Uh, there's this kind of stigma that it's just for it's I'm making cartoons and and they're it's just for kids or that, um, you know the skills that I have don't really translate when in fact it's it's almost it's very close. I mean the only difference is that you know. I don't have to like in my films. I have to do my own fight choreography, whereas in live action, there's someone who their job is to do the fight choreography, you know. Uh, 
And so, and it's also just a lot of managing. One of the things that like, you know, being on set with Zack Snyder and a lot of the other directors that I've worked with in the past is that I noticed that our jobs are very similar. It's just, it's managing your crew and knowing what you want. I mean, honestly, the, the biggest thing for being a director is knowing what you want, you know, and knowing the shots. And I'll give credit to Zach and, and a lot of the guys that I've worked with in the past is the fact that they know what they, they, they know, they have a clear direction of what they want. Uh, they know, you know, the performance they, they need from the actor. And a lot of times if the actor can't get it, they know how to kind of bring that out. And that's kind of what you have to do as a live action director. And even as in my, in my realm, when an actor is in the booth and he's doing voice work, a lot of times they're doing it by themselves. And so, you know, the voice act, the voice director, um, whether it's Wes or Andrea or Romano, uh, they have to, they have to find that to find a way to bring that performance out. And then I'm there to kind of help kind of steer it to where I need it for, for, for the storyboards and for the animation and the performance that I'm looking for in the story. And so again, it's a, it's a very similar um, kind of world or, or skills that I, I know. So I'm hoping that when I do do my, do make my first film and hopefully films after that, that uh, eventually I'll get a chance to do a Marvel film or a DC film at some point. We can't wait for that. Man. Can you That'll can you make awesome. a live action Batman Beyond film, please? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I had the rights to Batman Beyond, of course I would. <laughs> True. Uh, we got one more fan question. Uh, Sacktown at Matu All. I loved Justice League Dark. Ask him if he talked with Doug Lyman about the live action one. Hope he did. <laughs> um, you know, I haven't talked with Doug Lyman. Uh, you know, um, you know, because I work on a lot of these uh, the live action um, DC films, I'm hoping that you know when Doug goes into production, he'll give me a call. Uh, I you know I'd love to help out. I'm always more than happy to help out any of these these films. So no, he hasn't called me, but I'm hoping he will because I I've got there's a lot more ideas that I've got for Dark so that I didn't do in this film. So hopefully you know. I can I can help out in any way I can. Um, one thing that I want to ask you about, I know uh -huh. it'll be a touchy subject. I know you can't say anything really about it, but you've worked a little bit on Wonder Woman, and I was just wondering if you could say, like, are you really pumped to see this, and do you think it's going to do great? Of course I'm pumped to see it. I mean, I worked with Patty very extensively um, uh, on the film, so uh, I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be fun. I'm totally jazzed to, to see it on the big screen. I did a couple sequences, so I'm curious to see how they, they'll turn out. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm totally... I'm totally. I'm just happy that there's a Wonder Woman film. And I, I wish that. I mean, here's what here's what I hope. I hope that the Wonder Woman film will do well enough that they'll want to do an animated Wonder Woman movie because yes. the the movie that Lauren Montgomery had done for us uh, for at Warner Brothers was you know I I worked on it with her and it's one of my favorite movies that we had done and it's a shame that it didn't sell well mostly because it was pirated, you know uh, and. And because of that, that's why we don't get any Wonder Woman solo films because her one time that we tried out didn't sell well. So, of course, you know, the, the higher ups when they're like, well, it doesn't seem like there's a market for Wonder Woman. So hopefully with this, you know, when, when the Wonder Woman film comes out and this kind of resurgence of interest in, in the character, we will, you know, get some, you know, get more kind of content with it. I mean, I'd love to. If, if Gal wanted to do an, a voice for that, I would totally have Gal do it. Uh, she's got a busy schedule. I mean, I'd love to get any of those guys on the live action films to do, you know, uh, the voices on any of the animated stuff. I mean, I'd love to, but they always have crazy schedules. Right. So everyone, this is like our little mini review of Justice League Dark. It's amazing. Yes. Please go pick it up at your local, like, whatever convenience stores, Lab at Walmart, Target, or Amazon. Make sure you pick it up. Uh, Jay, where can we reach you on social media? Uh, I am on Twitter. I think it's JayLeva1. Uh, you can find me there. Um, and then you can find me at, I have a store. Uh, if you just look, I think if you just Google JayLeva, there's my website, which is Cinematic Storyboard, that has yes. information. I have my storyboards there, uh, my resume, as well as class information. So I teach basically storyboards. I've been teaching it for almost 20 years now. Uh, and, uh, and the information is on there. So if you want to know how, how to do what I do and work on 
you know, these films, then uh, totally, you know, take the class. And uh, and they can always email me, too. There's my contact info as well. Awesome. That's great, man. We we really appreciate you coming on again. This is your second your second time being on the show. And both times we've had nothing but a blast with you. You're so informational. Awesome to talk to you. We really appreciate it. And oh, anytime. Anytime you guys want to talk to me, you let me know. Awesome. That's great. Mm -hmm. We're still going to have to get together and do a, a, a sit down with just one of your films specifically, though. Yeah. So. I mean, I think this is my ninth one. I think Dark is my ninth one. So, Incredible. Uh, yeah, you can pick any of them. I, I'm more than happy to talk about them. Like I said, I'm I'm like a proud parent for all of them. They're all my children. Some of them I, li I love a little bit more than the others, but I, I'm very proud of each and every one of them. As you should be, man. Like, they're all of... Just all your films, they're all stand out. They're all, in my opinion, they're all great films. Like, we're going to have to sit down and talk to Sultan Arkham one time, though. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know what's funny is that, like, I totally wanted to do director commentary on it. But when I think I was, oh, geez, I might have been on Man of Steel or something like that. That, But I had, I had flown back to L.A. to be, to do the director commentary. But they had, like, they had forgotten to email me. And so they did the commentary, and James Tucker te texted me. He's like, aren't you oh. supposed to be here? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, we're doing the commentary. I was like, no. oh. And so, yeah, so I could totally – so I, yeah, I'm let's still missing the commentary for, for Assault on Arkham. Yeah, we, we'll, I feel like that needs to happen. So if you want to do that on our show <laughs> – we would uh, love to. So that's that's our salt on Arkham. Like like we said, we've said it many times before. It needs to be. A, there needs to be like a live action. That's version. our perfect Suicide Squad. Yeah, it's it's, it's perfect. Just what it is. It's, yes, it's a great film. So we're gonna let you get to your day. Thank you so much for coming on, Jay. We really appreciate it, man. Oh no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thank you. I am the night I have the